Let's talk about how God pursues you this morning. What is one thing that you feel that you know very well? What is an area in your life that you feel like you're an expert in? Maybe there's an area people come to you because you know everything about it. Maybe you know rocket science, or you know how to fix a car, or build a house, or maybe you know how you, to weld. Maybe you're very book smart and know everything about your degree in your field. God has given each of you great abilities and knowledge on the things on this earth. But there's no possible way that you could ever know everything that there is to know about the universe. It's simply too vast and beyond comp comprehension for us to know. If the entire world put its knowledge together, it'd be, it wouldn't even compare to what God knows. An expert is someone who knows more and more about less and less, <laughs> but God knows everything about everything. So let's look this morning to see what exactly God knows. Let's begin by reading our passage in Psalm 139 as we look at the knowledge of God and how he pursues you. All right. Turn with me as we read through the verses. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways, for there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it together. You have hedged me behind and before, and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the utmost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, and the night shall be light about me, indeed the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as a day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. For you formed my inward parts, you covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was in the secret, but I was made in secret, and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance, being yet unformed, and in your book they are all written, the days fashioned before me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God! Depart from me, therefore, you bloodthirsty men. For they speak against you wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, and know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. So, imagine if you will, 
a mother and a child, a mother and a father and their child. The parents have seen this child grow up over the years. They were there for the, to see the birth of this child. They knew how much this child weighed, what his eye color was, what his hair was uh, colored. They knew what he looked like. Over the years, they knew when he began to crawl, when he began to take his first steps, and then when he began to run around. They knew his first word that he spoke. They understand their son, even when he's just speaking gibberish. They know his favorite and least favorite foods, including his allergies. They they know when he needs a nap and know when he's ready to wake up. They know what kind of difficulties he has and where he excels. They nurture him daily. In addition to all these things that they know about him, they love him, they care for him, and they think precious thoughts to him. God also knows all of these and more about you, and he cares for you deeply. God has pursued a relationship with you from before you were even born. So let's read through verse 1 again. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. What does it mean that God has searched us and known us? What really shows through this verse is God's omniscience, which really just means that he is all-knowing. All in the illustration I gave, the parents have seen their son grow up over the years. Uh, and they know all that there is to know about their son. In the same way, God knows every single intimate detail about you. In fact, he even knows you better than you know yourself. God has created you, so it only makes sense that he would know you more than He would know you better than anyone else could. The creator knows his creation the best. Imagine also a painter. The painter sees how each layer of the canvas is formed. They start with a blank canvas and draw lines like a mountainscape. But if you're just passing by, you don't understand what they're drawing. You don't see the picture in the end. But the painter has a vision of what they want to draw, what they want to paint. They see the finished product before it's painted yet. The painter knows the painting, every single intricate detail about it. They know every single brush stroke, every single dab on the paper. They know it all. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. And are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue. But behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. Just as the parents know everything about their son, so God knows everything that there is to know about you. God knows more than just who you are. He cares for you deeply, even for the smallest of details. In Matthew 10.30, it says, But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. He knows all of your daily actions. He knows when you woke up, what you ate for breakfast, what kind of music you listened to, on your way to work, church, or school. He knows what you're thinking throughout the day, whether it's good or bad thoughts. Not only does God understand what you're thinking, but he understands these things even before, th- even before you think them yourself. 
God also knows your attitude and your emotions. He knows when you leave for work and how you spend your time at night. God knows your entire day from start to finish before it even happens. God also knows uh, when you sleep. He knows your truest intentions of your heart and soul. There is nothing you can hide from him. Every aspect is in full view of God. He knows what you are like more than anyone else could know in your lifetime. God is intimately acquainted with you and everything that you do. Not only does God know all this, but he knows everything that you say even before you say it. Your past, your present, and your future are all known to God. Knowing that God knows this about us, it should really bring into perspective what things are a waste of time and what things are beneficial for us to do. There are times when you should, you're maybe wasting time, but you should be glorifying God instead. Can you look back at, the, back at this past week and say that you haven't wasted any time on worldly pursuits that will mean nothing in the end? Or can you look back in this week in joy and say, I spent quality time reading the word and praying, and I'm happy for my decisions. In verse 5 it says, You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. This verse causes me to think about the story of Job. In Job chapter 1, verses 8 through 11, it says, Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now, stretch out your hand, and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. God hedged Job his family, all of his property, and all that he had around that as an act of protection. Even when Satan himself came knocking at the door, God protected Job. God only allowed Satan a small entrance into Job's life. God allowed Job to take away all his possessions, but he, took a, but he spared his life. God also builds a wall encircling and protecting you. He keeps you safe and away from danger. He lays his hand on you. How many of you can remember a time in your life when you should have certainly died? You were in sure danger and you're either going to be severely injured or you could have died. When I was just a, an infant back at, um, I don't know which house it was, but one of the houses, <laughs> um, there was a fire in the bedroom. And uh, I was just a baby in the crib sleeping and taking a long hibernation. And 
there was a, a fire and my whole room was filled with smoke and fire and I was rescued by, um, I think my dad, or Bob, <laughs> thank you. Um, and now I'm here and I, there wasn't any injury to myself. And when they put the fire out and the smoke had gone away, they looked at the room and every single wall was, you know, was destroyed by the smoke. But over the crib, there was a shield that was untouched. It was a clear line of white wall versus the black smoke. I think there must have been an angel sent from God protecting me because I should have died. But God protects you even when all seems like lost. In John 10, it says that the, the hand of God and the hand of Jesus cover us, protecting us, so that no one can snatch us out of their hands. God and Jesus' hands surround you and, they're watch- <coughs> and they protect you. He's not just somewhere far off in the distance on a cloud in heaven watching you like many think. He is by your side with you, but more than that, he is covering you so that no one can, no one can harm you if it is not his will. Just think that the same God who created the entire universe, who formed the mountains, who broke open the great depths of the sea, and who with great wisdom brought forth a great variety of animals and plants, and with great love created you, that same God who did all this lays his hand on you and covers you, and he protects you and builds a hedge around you so that nothing can enter without his approval. I think that's clear indication why David says in verse 6, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. I feel like our little brains can only handle so much. I don't think we'll ever fully grasp what this means to us in our lifetime. Isn't God amazing? Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? God is more than just all-knowing. He's more than just everywhere. He is also everywhere, which means that he can be in every place at all times. He can be in this church. He could be in Hong Kong. He could be in Mexico. He's all places at once. King David asked this rhetorical question, can I ever get away from God's spirit? Well, there's a perfect example. It's called the book of Jonah. Jonah tried to flee from God, but he couldn't. He, God, see, God called Jonah to preach in Nineveh, but instead, Jonah did a one, 180. He took a ship to the city of Tarshish, which is about 2,500 miles away from the city of Nineveh. But God caused a great storm to stop the ship, and Jonah was thor- thrown overboard and swallowed by a great fish, where he was later vomited up on land. So to answer David's question, where can I go from your spirit? You can't go anywhere. You can't flee from God. Wherever I go in life, God is there pursuing me. So David continues, If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. God is omnipresent. He is in heaven. He is in the great depths of the earth. 
No one can hide from him. No one can say, I found a place where God can't go. I found a place where God can't find me. He's everywhere. Wherever I go in life, God's there with me. If I go to the top of Mount Everest or down to the depths of the Mariana Trench, God is there. In Jeremiah 23, 24, it says, Can anyone hide himself in secret places so that I shall not see him, says the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and the earth, says the Lord? Everything that you do is in plain view of God. There's nothing that you can hide from him and nowhere you can run from him. David continues when he says, If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the utmost parts of the sea. David is writing this in Israel and the sun rises on the east of Israel in the mornings and on the west side of Israel is the Mediterranean Sea. What David is saying here is, God, if I travel as fast as I can and as far as I can to the east while the sun's still rising, you would be there. Now, the speed of light is very fast. It is about 186,000 miles per second. So if David were to outrun the speed of light itself, God would still be there. Even in today's world, we have... We have uh, commercial airliners and jets. I think the fastest, the uh, world record is about 2,000 miles per hour on one of these aircrafts. So that's per hour though. This is 186,000 miles per second that light travels. There's no conceivable way we could ever get away from God. But it's also very comforting to know that wherever you go in life, God is there with you as well. And it says in verse 10, Even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If you have gone into a country far away on a missions trip, if you're flying to Lafayette to go to the Galilee program, or if you're simply passing out flyers in the neighborhood to invite neighbors to church events, God is there. Not only is God there, but God knows the way. He guides you wherever you travel, whether it be far or nearby, whether it be to your neighbor's house or to the far ends of the earth. God knows the way, and he will lead you. When I was a child, my, my dad, he held me by my right hand, and he led me. In the same way, my heavenly father holds me by my right hand to the places I, I go, but I don't know the way. He is with me. If I say, in verse 11 and 12 it says, If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, and the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as day. Um, The darkness and the light are both alike to you. Have you ever tried to run from God? Have you ever been all alone? Lock the door behind you and turn off the lights and thought, no one's here. No one's going to see me sin. It's exactly what David contemplates here. God doesn't need light to see you sin or do wrong. He's not limited 
to only seeing in daylight like we are. From God's perspective, there's no difference between light and darkness. They're all his creation. God is more powerful than these thick sheets of darkness that you can put over yourself. He sees behind locked doors and hidden thoughts. There's nowhere you can run from God. Nowhere you can get away from his presence. From this perspective, it should make you fearful of God if you're doing wrong. However, these verses can be very encouraging for believers if you're doing right. When you're all alone in the woods at night and you're by yourself and all you see is a covering of darkness, God is with you. When you're in the midst of a stormy trial and you can't see clearly because of the night around you, God is with you. Though you cry out to God and think that this trial may never end and the darkness is too great, you think, God can never see through this. God, this is too much. But God is with you. Jesus said to his disciples before he before he left them to go ascend into heaven, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Even 2,000 years later after saying this, God is still with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. God has hedged you around so that only what he allows may enter. God will make the darkness shine as day. Remember that darkness is simply a creation of God. Doesn't God have more power than his creation? There's no reason to fear darkness if it's just a creation of God. God is more powerful than the darkness. Think back on this past week. Are there any moments in your life where you're, you're glad that God's been by your side? Are there any moments that you regret because you've forgotten about this attribute of God. God is there wherever you go in life. If you're honoring him and worshiping him, he's there. If you're cursing his name and sinning against him, he is there. Even though you may forget about God in your everyday life, he is there and he's actively pursuing you. There's a it's an interesting fact. There's a God performs many miracles every single day. It's estimated that there's over 350,000 newborns uh, born throughout the world every single day, and God continually is bringing forth life um, on the earth. And each each infant should be considered a miracle. These next four verses talk about God's skillful craftsmanship when He made you in the womb. So I want to share this amazing video with you of a growing fetus in the mother's womb. And it shows the awesome wonders that God performed when he made you.
just a, a short clip. It goes into more detail, um, but for the sake of time, I can I give you the link if you need to watch the rest of it. But it's a it's amazing. It's amazing the intricate details that God has gone through to form you. David continues in saying, "Before you formed my inward parts, you covered me in my mother's womb." One of the main ideas here is that God is omnipotent, which means that he is all-powerful. God has the power to create life out of nothing. So you might think, where was God when I was made in my mother's womb? God was right there with you. He crafted every single cell. He formed every single nerve fiber, created all the pathways for your blood to circulate, even while your blood vessels were still forming. He made all of your bones, constructed all of your organs with great attention to detail. The heart, for example, is an amazing work of art. Its rhythm adjusts accordingly to the amount of stress you put on it. It slows down to about 50 beats per minute while you're sleeping or at rest. And when you exercise, it goes to about 150 beats per minute. But the simple ability that God has given the heart to change uh, when you exercise has allowed you to walk and not pass out. If you, if you started running when your heart was only pumping out so much blood, you wouldn't be able to run very far. Your heart would, uh, wouldn't be able to keep up if it didn't change. So God has made these small details that matter so much to you. Just think that the God of the universe, the God who made the universe and all of the wonders in just a moment, he formed your inward parts. He covered you in your mother's womb. And I think David is right when he says this. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. I can just imagine that David just takes a step back, and he's just, I'm in awe. I'm in awe of God. If you've ever been to the edge of the Grand Canyon, you know the feeling, or been to the top of a half dome, you know how small and insignificant you feel. In comparison to these breathtaking landscapes, you are just, you feel insignificant. I remember, you know, just the spectacular awe and wonder that you see from those kind of sights. It's so breathtaking to see the amazing work that God does in his creation and power. But do you have those same thoughts when you think about how God created you. God deserves praise for the wonders and miracles that he has done. You are all fearfully and wonderfully made. You are living, breathing, thinking beings whom God created. Praise him for his marvelous works. In verse 15 it continues, My frame was not hidden from you. The frame David's talking about is a skeleton, your bones. Now, Rose would know that we need x-ray machines to see the insides of a person. But God doesn't need x-rays. He doesn't need fancy machines to do all his work for him. Just as darkness can't hide you from God, so your bones are not hidden by your organs and your skin. God saw you when you were made in the secret place of your mother's womb. 
And clearly, from the video, we were all skillfully made. And in verse 16, it says, Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they are all written. The days fashioned for me, when as yet they were none of them. See, God saw you when you were just a cluster of cells in your mother's womb. You were just a speck, yet God knew you, and he pursued you. As the weeks passed along, he skillfully caused you to grow into a fetus. He gave you life. Just that alone. That's amazing. He saw your first heartbeat, the first heartbeat that pulsed your blood throughout your tiny body, supplying every single cell with nutrients that you needed. He saw and formed your brain, and he knew your personality and your attitudes before they were known to anyone. He was there when your arms and your legs were formed, when they reached out, growing to form your limbs. He knew in advance whether you would use those legs to run to him and walk in faith and believe in him, or if you would use those legs to run away from him and flee from God and instead pursue the pleasures of the world. God knew all this in advance, but he gave you life. And he also knew that by giving you life, that you would sin against him repeatedly, that you would curse his name and forsake his, uh, forsake him for many years. God knew that by giving you life, that your sins would burden Jesus as he suffered on the cross. God knew all of us before you were formed, but he still decided to give you life. <laughs> wow. <laughs> God knew you that before you were still formed, that one day you might hear the gospel of what he's done for you, how he pursued a relationship with you. Before you were even formed, he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for you where he suffered and died on the cross, and he bore your sins so that you did not have to. And he was buried, on the, and he rose on the third day. God did all of this out of love for you. He pursued you by sending his only son to die on the cross for you, and he loved you before you were even born. What love God has for you. It's unfathomable to think about how much God knows about me, how he knows wherever I go. He knows those places. He knows, I know that the God of the universe is with me. He was forming me in my mother's womb. He was knitting me all together. And it's amazing to think these thoughts that God pursued me before I was born. But David doesn't just stop here when writing. David continues in writing when he says, How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. See, God thinks precious thoughts to you. He goes above and beyond 
our comprehension. Not only did God create you, not only has He been with you, but He actively pursues you. He did not just create you, leave you, and forget about you, and leave you on your own. He constantly thinks precious thoughts towards you. As an earthly father, bring, father and mother bring their child into the world, they care for him. They provide for him and nurture him. They love him. But they don't stop there. They actively pursue a relationship with their child, and they think numerous, innumerable precious thoughts towards their child. In the same way, God cares for you. God provides for you. God nurtures you. And in addition to all of these things, if that, if, as if that wasn't enough, God thinks precious thoughts towards you. As innumerable as the sand of the earth is, so are God's thoughts towards you. Innumerable. And after all these thoughts, David just takes a step back in amazement when he says, and when I awake, I am still with you. It seems that there's two possible interpretations to this uh, verse. The first one is from the perspective of an infant. So from that perspective, imagine the infant thinking, God, you've been with me. You were there before I was even formed. You were there for the nine months that I was in the womb. Now you're here when I am born. Now you're going to be with me for the rest of my life. And if I hear the gospel and be saved, I'll be with you for eternity. How precious is that? And when I awake, I'm still with you. There's a second possible interpretation. Have you ever had a, a really good dream and you woke up to find that it wasn't real and you were disappointed? Well, David shares this. You don't just wake up and go, oh man, I really wish God was that amazing. <laughs> he is that amazing. <laughs> God is not some high uh, fantasy that we, you know, dream that we think, oh, if only he were like this and that and that, that'd be so amazing. He is all, he is all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's everywhere at once. And those are just three of the dozens of attributes of God. Yeah. In uh, verse 19 through 22, it almost seems out of place at first, but David, David has the right heart here. And it fits perfectly, actually. It says, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, you bloodthirsty men. For they speak against you wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. God is so amazing. He has made all, he's made all of us in such awe and wonder. It's so full of life. 
and men are so full of murder and hate. All God wants to do is give life, and all men want to do is take away life. I don't understand how these men can, how mere men can see all that God has done and still curse his name. They make themselves enemies uh, of God because of this. How can they hate God when he loves them so much? How can they rise up against God? These men, they, utter, they, are, they are utterly wicked for hating God when he created them. In Jeremiah 29, 15 through 16, it says, Woe to those who go to great depths to hide their plans from the Lord, who do their work in darkness and think, Who sees us? Who will know? You turn things upside down, as if the potter were thought to be like the clay. Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, You did not make me. Can the, potter say to the, can the pot say to the potter, You know nothing. I don't understand how men can see these wonders that God has done. When you just think the human body alone, nothing else, no, not thinking about creation, not thinking about his love, just the human body alone. Even if you just think of one single cell of the human body, it's enough reason to believe in God. When you think about how intricately each layer of the cell works together, and it's like a factory which has its garbage disposal, its energy um, production, its workers. It's amazing. There's trillions of cells in you. But I don't understand how, these, how natural scientists can say, this is just by chance. <laughs> I don't know how you can study all of these things and say, God didn't create it. I don't believe that. He never existed. I'm going to create a theory instead and say, this is what I'd rather believe in. It's, but there's more, there's more faith in belief. It takes more faith to believe in evolution than it does to believe in God. Even unsaved medical experts acknowledge that they are fearfully and wonderfully made but they refuse to accept God as their creator. Finally, in, uh, in verses 23 and 24, it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. David is in the midst of this deep reflection, thinking about just a few of God's attributes. And David prays this prayer. He's confessing his own sinfulness before God. And I think when you take the time to meditate on who God is, on, how, on the fact that he's everywhere at once, that he knows everything about you, and that he can do anything. I think you need to take a, a step back and in awe and wonder. And David does this here. He, I could just imagine him falling down on his face in humility and reverence towards God. 
David prays this, these verses when he realizes that God is all-knowing and all-powerful and everywhere at once. He's in the midst of God. But we also are in the presence of God at all times. Um, since he's omniscient, uh, omnipresent. When, we, uh, when you stand before a holy God, your own sin and wickedness become very clear. When Isaiah was in the presence of God, it says in Isaiah 6, verse 5, Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Do you realize that you constantly stand in the presence of God? Do you realize that He knows everything about you? Do you realize that He knows you know, He's all-powerful? And finally, do you fall down at his feet, uh, confessing your sins when you realize this about God? Or do you go about your day continuing with life and ignoring these things? Let's pray. Search our hearts to see if there's any evil intentions in us, Lord. Know our truest intentions. Are we trying to follow your will, Lord, or, or are we trying to follow ours? Do we care about what we want in this life, or do we care about what you want for us to do for you? Try us. Know what makes us anxious. Expose any wicked way in us so that we can confess it before you. Cast our sin as far as the east is from the west so that we may stand before you blameless. And after all of this, help us follow in the way of the upright. Lead us in the way everlasting. Amen.